0: Scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, a few weeks ago our friend Douglas came to visit us and he really wanted to go on an adventure. He hadn't been in this area in a long time and we'd been talking about going on a pack rafting trip. Um, We hadn't decided exactly where to go um, but the weather here was getting nastier and I was checking my river levels app and I saw that the Dirty Devil River was going up And Douglas really wanted to get away from people into a really wild place. So we decided to go on the Dirty Devil. And Douglas and I started poring over the maps, trying to figure out exactly where we would start, exactly where we would take out. And it was so last minute, we had to leave the next day. So we didn't have time to really arrange a shuttle, someone that could drop us off and all that. So we had to choose a place to start where we could get our minivan to. And um, looking at the maps, we found a place, uh, and it was just about 64 miles upstream from the takeout point. And so we packed up our stuff really quick, and we got in the minivan, and John got in our truck, and we drove off early the next morning. And the first challenge was getting the minivan to the takeout point, uh, which involved traversing some steep dips and a lot of rocks and I would keep jumping out of the car and kind of guiding Douglas where to drive and uh, somehow we made it but it did take some time Um, but we made it there and then uh, we all got in the truck and we drove to the put-in point Actually, to where we were going to hike to the Put-In Point. From there, uh, we had we hiked uh, down through this gorgeous Navajo sandstone. And I was just so excited to be in such a beautiful place and on this adventure. Um, and we got to the river about 2 o'clock. And we inflated our boats. And we started out and uh, pretty much as soon as we started we realized this was going to be a long trip uh, because every time we'd paddle for a few minutes we'd get grounded on a sandbar in the shallows it was the, this part of the river was just these really shallow braided channels you know different channels going different ways and you know you'd pick one you thought was deep and then all of a sudden it wasn't <laughs> and so then we'd be Paddling, you know, trying to sort of drag ourselves across the sand with the paddle, and then that didn't work. So then we'd be pushing with our hands, trying to scoot the boats over to a deeper spot, and then Finally, we'd give up, and we'd get out of the boat and walk across and kind of pull the boat with the paddle till we got to a deeper section. And um, to make it even slower, we had a really strong headwind blowing in our faces. And after about an hour, uh, my hands were raw from pushing on that sand, and my chin was raw from my strap from my hat rubbing it, and my shoulders were tired, and I was thinking, oh boy. I think we made a mistake here Uh, because uh, this was Tuesday, and early Saturday morning, we were supposed to fly out to Austin for a family wedding, and we had 64 miles to go, Um, so I thought, huh, this is going to be really interesting and uh you know my attitude was getting worse and worse and i remember at one point thinking well, I better at least get a sermon out of this. (laughs) So here it is. You all have to listen to it. Um, And I I was kind of, I think, hoping for some, you know, cool story or some event that I could talk about. But all that came up really was, you know, this verse, let us run with perseverance the race set before us. Um, Because we really had no choice but to persevere. So we did. And after five hours, of this struggle uh we we just were cold and so exhausted we just couldn't go on and so we um found this beautiful side canyon to camp at and uh we looked on the maps we figured out we'd gone about six miles so we had 58 more miles to go (laughs) um and I was really worried that night, and I was thinking like, you know, we're not going to make it to this wedding, and uh, what's worse than that is all of our family is going to be really worried about us when we don't show up, you know, we hadn't really told anyone we might not make it, um, and I was like, oh gosh, what are we going to do? Um, I started brainstorming and I told John I said I think we might have to hike out of here Uh, and that would have meant continuing 31 miles down the river and then hiking 13 miles uphill and then hitchhiking to one of our cars which were not near anywhere anyone would be going John just looked at me like I was crazy Um, so I didn't know what to do but we really had nothing to do but continue. Um, and so the next morning, we got up and we continued our slow progress, and at least the wind had died down, and so I was thankful for that blessing. We were still hitting shallows every few minutes and having to paddle or pry, scoot, or walk uh, to the deeper water. Um, We stopped for a quick lunch break, and then we continued because we thought, oh gosh, we have to make as much progress as we can. Um, But soon we came to our first rapid, and slowly the river was getting narrower and swifter. We hardly noticed it at first, but we were having to get out of our boats less frequently, and, as the afternoon went on, we started really moving. We even got to relax for a few minutes in a, a deep, narrow channel and uh, and then you know it widened again, and we had to look for the deeper braid. Um, But we also found that we could read the water better and that we could, it wasn't as hard as the previous day to tell where the deeper channel was going and we'd be on one side and then we'd realize like, oh, we need to cross to the other side because it's going to be deeper over there. And so we were getting stuck a lot less often and, um, you know, pretty soon we realized like, wow, we made it 31 miles that day and we were going to make it out in time after all. And... Uh, The next day, things got even better. There were long, deep channels, and we could paddle and float and even enjoy the scenery and take photos while we were floating. And we made it out to our takeout point on Thursday evening. And I... Yay! I think, I think that's how things often work. You know, sometimes our tasks seem so daunting, especially when we start out. It seems like there's no way we can do it, and our progress is so slow. It seems like we're taking a step back every time we take two steps forward. Um, but as we keep going, slowly things get easier. And it's not until we look back that we realize that grace was on our side. And that's how it's been for me also learning how to manage people in Tandana, which is the organization that I founded and I've had a really hard time um, learning to be a manager and especially with our team in Ecuador with many cultures and personalities coming together and also rapid turnover which means you know every time I go there's some different uh, there's some the team's a little different with different conflicts, different challenges and issues Issues And for a few years, I, I could barely handle the stress that this was causing me. And one spring, I came home from Ecuador with a tick in my neck. And I was going like, <laughs> when I was trying to talk to people, um, just because I was so stressed out. And then another fall, I had, to, I had to fire someone that I had recently hired um, because I realized she was totally untrustworthy. And I realized on the way to that meeting where I was going to tell her this, I was kind of shaking. And um, I think there are times when I might have quit if I had not been the founder of this organization and, uh, in a sense, the mother of this living, unpredictable living being that it had become. Um, But slowly, almost unnoticeably, it's gotten easier, and I've been able to handle things better. There's still issues, and I still don't enjoy dealing with them, Um, but... Uh, I do it with less stress and more often feeling like I've done well. And more recently, I had to ask another person to move on from our team, and I had to ask somebody else to take a salary cut so that we could work things out with her colleague. And um, miraculously, that all went a lot more smoothly than I ever could have imagined. And just like on the river, you know, as I persevered almost imperceptibly, Um, things have gotten easier as grace has carried me through. But still, it's hard to be patient. Some of the translations of this verse say, let us run with patience, and that's actually the version that sticks more in my mind. And it's a hard one. It seems like I'm usually wanting new adventures or new challenges, waiting for big epiphanies, um, rather than wanting to continue patiently on the same track, making slow progress. But often, that patient perseverance is what is called for. My friends in Mali have a saying, petit à petit, l'oiseau fait son which means little by little, the bird makes its nest. And they have taught me about patience. I remember when I took a group of American volunteers to the village of Kansongo. Residents and the volunteers were working together on building a storehouse for a grain bank, which is very much like the grain bank in Dologu that you all made possible last year. Local masons were leading the project, and we started by carrying stones on our heads from where they had been broken from the bedrock to the building site. And the masons would then shape them and lay them, dry fit them in incredibly neat and straight lines um, to make the walls. And then they showed us how to chink the little cracks with little splinters of stone. Um, And then we mixed clay plaster inside the building and threw it on the walls um, to plaster the inside of the walls. And we Americans were really enthusiastic to work hard and make a lot of progress. And so, you know, we wanted to keep working when maybe our local friends would have taken a break. Um, but they knew we were excited and they appreciated our help. And so they indulged us and we kept working and, you know, building row after row of this building, and the building really started taking shape. It was really exciting. Um, And then, suddenly, the back wall of the building collapsed. And luckily, none of the Americans were inside because they probably would have gotten crushed. There were only a few local men in there, and they were able to jump out of the way, and no one was seriously hurt. Um, But I realized that with our haste to make progress we had created a dangerous situation and we had pushed the masons a little too quickly um, and they were adding more weight to the walls before the plaster had dried below to provide more support to keep that, that wall stable um, and I felt really bad and I was afraid that our local friends would be upset with us um but ever patient, they just called a meeting and they explained calmly that, well, we're going to start again and we're just going to go a little more slowly and make sure that the plaster dries before we add new rows on top um, and we'll keep going. And, uh, I thought that was a great example for me of how to, how to respond and how to be patient both with a slow process but also with a setback when things didn't go quite as planned. And the next year, uh, I again learned about patients from friends in Kansongo. And that year, I was visiting at the same time that the next shipment of grain was supposed to arrive for the grain bank. Uh, So... I caught a ride with the truck that was delivering the grain, and I was really excited. We bumped over this rough track towards the village, and and I was just so excited to see friends again and also for everyone in the village to see this millet arriving because that meant food for the rainy season, which is the hardest time of year. And so we're getting really close to the village, and we were about a mile away when the truck got a flat tire. And the driver stopped, and I it took me a little while to figure out exactly what was going on, but I did. And then I asked the driver, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, this is it. We stop here. And I said, but, but you're supposed to get the grain to Kansongo. You know, that was the agreement. And he said, nope, that's it. We're unloading here. We got to unload here. This is it. This truck, you know, we got to go back to town to get a tire. It can't drive with this weight. We're stopping here. Um, so I was, you know, kind of angry. I was like, no, but the deal was you have to get the grain there and it just wasn't happening. Um, and there were two residents of Kansongo who had also caught a ride on the truck and To my surprise, they didn't say anything. They just walked to the village and told everyone else what had happened. And pretty soon, um, they had sent a a group of young men to where the truck was, and they were unloading these huge sacks of millet, stacking them on the side of the road. And then they delegated uh, watchmen to guard this millet throughout the night. And then the next morning... Every woman in the village took her wash basin and walked to where this millet was, and they opened the sacks. They divided each sack of millet into about four different wash basins, and they carried them on their heads to the village pour the millet back into the sacks, sewed them back up, and stored them safely in the grain bank. And of course, I wanted to help, so I can't carry that much weight on my head. Um, so I took my backpack, and I said, pour the millet in here for me. And Everyone thought that was totally ridiculous, uh, but they did it and I walked with a group of women, and we made four trips um, that day uh, back and forth from the the grain bank to where the millet was and back uh, and Every time we would pass another group, you know we would greet them cheerfully, and everyone was all the women were doing this, and then um, men were out there with bicycles or donkeys if they had them um, carrying sacks as well. Um, and eventually all the millet was in the grain bank. And I just couldn't believe the, the patience and the willingness to keep walking steadily with so many pounds on their heads until the work was done. And their perseverance was certainly impressive. Um, there's no doubt about that. But wasn't there also some injustice in this story? I mean, the deal was the transporters should have been responsible for getting the grain where it was supposed to go, and why was it the women who bore the, the hardest part of the labor, um, you know, should we be patient with this kind of injustice? And I think that we shouldn't accept the injustice, but we do need patience as we struggle to change it. And sometimes in the world or in our nation, we also feel like we're making no progress. That maybe despite all of our efforts, things are not getting better. But if we persevere, eventually there are breakthroughs. We can think of it actually like a river, like the Dirty Devil, with its winding meanders, and it's slowly, slowly eroding that stone. The silt in the water is rubbing on those walls, very, very slowly carving it away. It seems like it'll never cut through, but after eons of slow erosion, it does. It breaks through, and the river cuts a shorter course, abandoning its old meander. And perhaps our work to change monolithic systems can be the same way. After generations of almost negligible progress, eventually there's a breakthrough. I recently saw the movie On the Basis of Sex about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And in the movie, we see Ginsburg determined to take on a case that she thinks will open the door to challenging the gender discrimination of so many federal laws. She meets with the ACLU to try to get them to help, but they refuse. She tracks down Dorothy Kenyon, who is a lawyer who's fought for women's rights in the past. But Kenyon tells her she can't win. Kenyon has struggled and lost similar cases, and she seems pretty much to have given up hope of making progress through the law. But all of those past efforts of lawyers like Kenyon and activists and many others have slowly been cutting through the stone. And Ginsburg is able to argue the case successfully, opening up a new course toward equality. These struggles take patience and determination, as well as a willingness to suffer. Richard Rohr says, There are no perfect institutions and no perfect people. There is only the struggle to be whole. It shows us the way of redemptive suffering instead of redemptive violence. (laughs) Patience comes from our attempts to hold together an always mixed reality. Perfectionism only makes us resentful and judgmental. Grateful people emerge in a world rightly defined where even darkness is no surprise but an opportunity. We need patient perseverance to make the world better. We also need need love. It also says humans and history both grow slowly. We expect people to show up at our church doors fully transformed and holy before they can be welcomed in. But change of consciousness can only come with time. Patience is the very shape of love. We need this kind of loving patience with the world, with others, and also with ourselves. We need patience to let let the meaning experiences unfold in its own time. Often, we are tempted to jump to interpret, to assign meaning too early, especially when we are struggling. But if we can keep going in the ambiguity, time may reveal truer meanings to our experiences and our lives. I remember when I first went to Mali, and I was really having a hard time. I had a vague goal of trying to get to know another cultural world and make new friends, but I didn't have a role or a job or any specific plan. I wasn't connecting very well with my host family, and I was embarrassed by how little I knew about how to behave appropriately in this new milieu. Every day I wondered if I should go home or if I should persevere. I wanted to jump to some possible meaning for this struggle I was going through. But the meaning changed from day to day. Maybe I was supposed to learn that I didn't need to be here, that I didn't need to stick through all these challenges, or that I had work to do at home. Or maybe I was supposed to weather these challenges and learn from them and grow in new ways by staying. Whether from uncertainty, inertia, or persistence, I did persevere and stay for the four months I had planned. On my next few visits, I still struggled as dealing with all of the ambiguity and in interactions and relationships that didn't follow patterns I was familiar with. <clears throat> I always tried to jump to assigning meaning, to sort of a premature reading of the design in my experiences, and then to extrapolate from that the decisions that I should make. But now... I can look back from a broader perspective and see all of those challenges as important to a story that has become beautiful in the richness it has brought to my life and to the lives of so many friends in Mali. We can never really know the designs in our lives until they're completed. Karen Blixen tells a story that she heard as a child. A man who lived by a pond was awakened one night by a great noise He went out into the night and headed for the pond, but in the darkness, running up and down, back and forth, guided only by the noise, he stumbled and fell repeatedly. Finally, he found a leak in the dike where water and fish were gushing out of the pond. He set to work plugging the leak, and only after he had finished, he went back to bed. The next morning, looking out of the window, he saw with surprise that his footprints had traced the figure of a stork on the ground. Blixen asks if her life, if all of our lives, will leave a design like that stork. We cannot foresee or control the design we might leave. We just have to persevere in our tasks, running with patience whatever races are set before us. The gift of our faith is trusting that as we run slowly here and there through the trials and tribulations we find ourselves in that the designs of our lives are actually unfolding as they should. In this season of Easter, of resurrection, I find that I need patience and I need faith in a slow renewal. When I think about being reborn, renewed all at once, it seems unlikely. I I can try to turn over a new leaf, but pretty soon find myself drifting back to old habits. Can I really have a fresh start, I wonder? But we can also have resurrection slowly, almost unnoticeably. A renewal of slow change, patient progress is possible. And a small act can start a rebirth, can introduce something new into the world. According to Hannah Arendt, miracles are interruptions of some natural series of events, of some automatic process, in whose context they constitute the wholly unexpected. We are surrounded by automatic processes, and we're driven by them as well. All processes, even those we start, tend to become habitual and automatic over time. Arendt says that every act... Seen from the perspective not of the agent, but of the process in which it occurs and whose automatism it interrupts, is a miracle. That is something which could not be expected. Even with small actions, we have the freedom to make miracles. We have the freedom to start something new, to interrupt a process. Every time we forgive, we interrupt a cycle of retribution. We start something new. When we offer unexpected kindness to a stranger, we plant a seed for future kindness. And when we join together and create a new group, we birth a new potential into the world. And we can run with perseverance, patiently bringing small miracles as we go. So this Easter season, let us trust in the slow resurrection, the renewal that starts with small, free, unexpected actions. And let us persevere with faith that even though we can't see it now, the course we are running will reveal a meaningful design. Let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen.